Let's return this afternoon to Romans 14 and 15. Page 1128. Romans 14. Verse 13 through 15, verse 9. Fourteen, verse thirteen through fifteen, verse nine. Remember, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, "As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions." It's a call for the Church of Jesus Christ not to quarrel over opinions. Jews and Gentiles have been quarreling in the Roman churches about what food is allowed, what's not, what drink is allowed, what's not whether the special feast days of the Jews should still be kept or whether every day is alike. And so Paul has been dealing with that and telling them not to quarrel over secondary matters, but nor to judge one another or look down on one another, but to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed them to the glory of God. So we're starting at 14 verse 13. Therefore, or 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong enough have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This is God's word, and may he bless us by it. 14, verse 13 through 15, verse 7 is our focus 
this afternoon. May God bless us and strengthen us by it, brothers and sisters. In our Lord Jesus, Romans 14 and 15 are a gold mine of gospel wisdom for the church when it comes to dealing with different opinions on secondary matters. Secondary matters which do not touch the gospel, do not touch our common confession of faith. And if we follow this rule, gospel wisdom in Romans 14 and 15, this rule of Christ's love for and acceptance of his people, the church is immensely blessed and built up even when there are strongly held differences of opinion among the saints of God. I don't like long introductions, but I'm going to have an unusually long introduction to take us over where we've gone and then to carry us forward with the four rules of dealing with one another when we have differences. So what has Paul been saying? First, not every issue and opinion is a matter of biblical truth. Not even every religious issue and religious opinion is a matter of biblical truth. Many things, brothers and sisters, are a matter of personal conviction, rooted in sincere faith, and done to honor the Lord. And the two examples here in Romans 14 are differences between the strong in faith and the weak in faith with regard to food and feast days. The weak in faith saying, no, we're not free to eat all foods. The strong in faith saying, yes, Christ has, through his blood, cleansed us and allowed all foods to be eaten. Strong in faith saying, all days are alike now. We don't have to follow the Mosaic observances of feast days and the weak in faith, the Jews saying, yes, we still do. If we really want to be faithful, it'll be dangerous for us not to. Both opinions are faith convictions. They're both offered to the Lord in love. Love for the Jesus who saved them. Now, not every difference of personal opinion is a matter between Jew and Gentile, or between strong faith and weak faith. There may be differences of opinion between those whose faith, as we might say, of equal strength. But the same principles, general principles, general principles apply whenever it's a secondary matter, a matter of personal faith conviction not clearly taught in Scripture. One person may believe strongly that a woman's head covering is a hat. Others might believe strongly that a woman's head covering is her hair. There are sincere Christians who differ on whether it's right to smoke or drink alcohol. Even though we all agree that enslavement to either is sin. We might have different convictions about Christian schools or on homeschooling or on masks and vaccines. There was a time when many Christians in the church considered it sin for a woman to wear any kind of makeup or cosmetic and would judge those who did and those who did say, I'm free to, and look down on those who didn't. Or between those who would dress more firm, formally for worship and those more casually. And they have all these things. But we must not 
quarrel over opinions, even when our opinions are held in a deep and sincere faith, brothers and sisters. They're offered to the Lord Jesus who has saved us and welcomed us. And then we must offer the same welcome to one another for Jesus' sake, even when we differ. We must hold, remember, hold on to each other even when we don't hold each other's opinions for Christ's sake. So that's the first thing. Not every issue in common an opinion is a matter of biblical truth. Secondly, we do not, we are not to play judge in these disputable matters or opinions. That's between that person and the Lord. While we must make judgments when it comes to clear violations of the commandments and things which touch our common faith, things which will condemn someone and will lead them to hell if they do not repent, well, we must make judgments then. These matters over secondary opinions are matters where we must not look down on one another. We must not judge one another. We must leave it to the Lord. It's between that person and the Lord who will judge that person. The person will stand before him and the Lord will, is able to make him stand. The Lord has welcomed that person. And the third thing, we're always to keep the main things the main things. This is hard. This is hard. Do not allow opinions on food or drink or days or hats or cosmetics or masks rise to the level of primary issues that cause you to break fellowship with your congregation. Paul says, remember three things. Focus on the blood of Christ that bought you. Two, Don't let your opinion become an instrument of evil that hurts the church. And three, remember that the kingdom of God is not a matter of food or drink or vaccinations, but a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't let your opinion on that issue become so big that the kingdom becomes all about that. And now Paul moves on from helping us understand the issue to helping us address the issue with specific rules of how we should treat one another. Remember that one thing he will not do is to insist that everybody have the same view on secondary matters. He's pushing for internal unity, not for external conformity in the church. It seems like he's playing both sides. Both sides are right. Both sides are acceptable to God, but he's not. He's just got one conviction. It's all about Christ, and when we make it all about him, then we see that those things don't really matter. Christ himself really is the key to all this. We read that in 15 verse 3. If you take a look at that a moment, as I think kind of the key that holds it all together 15 verse 3, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And brothers and sisters, however you might, however much you might disagree with one another on matters of personal conviction, it's all about not pleasing yourself but pleasing your neighbor 
and even accepting pain and trouble for your neighbor's good. That's how Christ saved you. There were reproaches coming on you, disgrace, shame, destruction. And he set himself aside and said, let that fall on me for your good. And because of that, we're saved. And if he would do that for our salvation, will we not do that for one another in smaller matters? For our sakes, he was wounded that we might become whole. That's the mind of Christ. So now, in this section, the Apostle Paul sets forth four rules. The Holy Holy Spirit places before us four rules as to how to live with one another when there are differences. Number first is the rule, number one is the rule of deference or accommodation. And you find that mentioned four times in verses 13 through 21. Just go through those for a second with me. Verse 13, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Says that again in verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. But by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything. It causes your brother to stumble. Defer or yield to the weaker brother. Defer or yield to the weaker brother or sister. Now be careful. That does not mean defer to the Pharisee who's always offended when you don't follow his legalistic views. Jesus refused to pander to their unbelief. This is the matter of true faith and there are conscience issues. You don't want to cause somebody to stumble. Use your freedom to make somebody else stumble where he is a conscience issue. When a true believer has a very sensitive conscience, maybe because of his past experiences, which doesn't allow him the personal freedom to eat or drink, eat meat or drink wine, and then you're eating meat or drinking wine in front of him to show off your Christian liberty, that could push him over the edge and destroy his faith. That's what Paul is saying. Especially if you think of someone who's had a past of severe substance abuse and is weak in those situations. You defer to the weaker brother. You accommodate his weaknesses. If Christ has offered us 100% Christian liberty... And a brother or sister has only arrived at enjoying 80% of them. And for 20% of them, he's not comfortable. He feels free. He's, he's going to come under the judgment of God if he does that or doesn't do that. Then you defer to him in that 20%. And don't say, that guy should toughen up. I'm free. I have my rights. I'm going to exercise them. He'll have to learn. You could destroy your brother. You could destroy your sister. The one for whom Christ died. 
Now, I know a true believer can't fall away forever, but they can fall, and they can fall far and need to be brought back to repentance and faith in order to be saved. Don't put them there. Paul's saying more than don't offend anybody. He's speaking about something much more weighty and serious and eternal. Don't destroy anybody. Be careful with one whose faith is weak. Yield to his needs. I've met Christians who love to exercise their Christian liberty to drink alcohol. I am free in Christ to drink. Wonderful. And they simply don't care that someone else might really be led astray because of a weakness. That's their problem, says the one who's free to drink. No, it's your problem if you cause him to stumble. You're using your freedom for evil, and that's not acceptable to God. You know, if you get to a spot, brothers or sisters, where you have freedom to do something, because you have freedom to do something, you must do it, you're no longer free. If you get to a spot where because you have freedom to do something, freedom in Christ, and then you must do it, then you're actually no longer free. The bottom line is that Paul tells the weak not to judge the strong, but also the judge not to look down on the weak and be careless toward their weakness. Don't disregard and potentially destroy the weak by brandishing your freedoms to eat or drink anything in front of those with a tender conscience. Now, the application, even if it's not a strong faith, weak faith difference, but it's an, you might say, an equal faith difference, the general principle still holds. When there is a difference between brothers, believers, and strongly held opinion before the Lord, we have to go the extra mile to make room for each other's views. And be very careful not to disregard each other's deep convictions. Not to judge them or look down on them. One says it's a sin not to wear a mask when the law demands it. The civil law. Another says it's a sin to worship with your face covered. What do you do? Let's not exclude each other on such matters. But may Christ's love help us to find and hold on each other. Especially now that it is after the fact. If we've said things like, if you don't wear a mask, you're a murderer. If you do wear a mask, you're a traitor to Christ because you're capitulating to the civil government. These are ridiculous overstatements. And can be really used to hurt the fellowship of the body of Christ. And then our opinions become swords to beat each other up. And walls to separate us from others. And they should not be used that way. Christ's love alone will help us find a way through the maze. And if that love you pray for that love to live in you more and more, you will find a way. The Holy Spirit will empower you to find a way. 
So the first rule is deference or accommodation, yielding to one another. The second is encouragement, verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. At the end of the day, it's not about being right or proving that your opinion is good. It's about building the body of Christ, the blood-bought bride of, of Christ. And rather than absolutize our opinion and use it as a sword to wage war or use it as a wall to divide and exclude, we put our opinion back in its proper place. Put your sword back in its sheath. And you put our sho- we put our shoulders together to plow, to the plow of pursuing peaceful relations and building the congregation, building the church. Because the body of Christ should always mean far more to us than being right in our own eyes. This goes back to the rules of Christian love. Remember that in Romans 12? You just turn back two chapters to Romans 12, 16 through 18. Romans 12, 16 through 18, which is under the heading, let love be sincere, let love be genuine. Verse 16 Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That particularly applies in matters of opinions. Being wise in your own sight produces quarrels. Repay no one evil for evil, verse 17, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So be a builder and encourager. We simply cannot adopt the my way or the highway approach in the church of Jesus. You do it exactly as I see things and what my sincere faith requires or I will cancel you. No. It means we humble ourselves to recognize Christ is above all. Then comes my brothers and sisters who have the same faith that I do even though they might not have all the same opinions. And then comes me. Remember, joy, Jesus, others, you. The only way, again, brothers and sisters, we can come to this spot if we lift up our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see him dying there on the tree for me. Bleeding for my salvation. And not only for me, but for you. You with whom I may disagree. Then my heart melts in love and a desire to set myself aside and work for the well-being of my brothers and sisters and reach out across the aisle. So in the case of the strong and the weak, the strong in faith could say, who cares? I've been given freedom to eat or drink anything I want. No one's going to take that full-scale liberty that I have in Christ. Nobody's going to take my rights away from me. That's really the way our culture functions, right? And we're countercultural. If by this liberty you trample on the faith of the weaker, then you have damaged his faith and conscience. Because if, if the weaker brother is not convinced by faith that it's right, then Paul says, for him it's wrong, it's sin. And when you push him over the edge to do something that's not pleasing to God out of pressure, you'll put him in a quagmire of guilt from which he's not able to find escape. Don't put him there. 
It's about building one another. Maybe in time as he learns about the freedom he has in Christ, his faith will become stronger and his conscience freer. But you who are stronger have an obligation to carry your weaker brother. And if it's true in a strong faith, weak faith, the principle also applies in an equal faith setting when there might be opinions, strongly held convictions that do not touch our common faith. You've heard the saying, brothers and sisters, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, diversity, in all things, charity. The third rule is self-denial. That takes us to Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build them up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see, the key to building up your neighbor bearing with what you see to be his weakness or failings? The key is self-denial. We who are strong have an obligation not to please ourselves, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good. That doesn't mean a people-pleasing requirement. It means a readiness to set yourself aside to bless and help another person. That's what self-denial is about. That's really the gospel imprinted upon our lives. That's how Christ carries us. Again, he set his rights aside. He set himself aside. He forgot himself because he was so focused on God's glory and rescuing me and you. That's where self-denial takes you. Self-pleasing always takes you to quarreling. We see that with our kids when they fight over toys. As soon as you make it about me, a fight breaks out. As soon as you make it about you, peace prevails. There's a way forward. Self-denial. Notice here how in verse 1 he speaks about bearing with the failings of the weak. They should experience more of the liberty they have in Christ. Their consciences are still burdened in areas where they should still, still feel freedom. But here's the point. The strong must use their freedom not to impose things on the weak which would go against their conscience and trample on their faith. The strong should use their freedom to deny themselves. The world's way is might makes right. I have the right, I have the freedom, so you're not stopping me. Come on, week one, toughen up. But the Christian is to go the gospel way. Not might makes right, but might is used to support the weak. Might is used to support the weak, to show kindness. And so, brothers and sisters, the fundamental question for us is not, am I free to do this? But is this going to build up my brother and sister? And if it's going to build my brother and sister, I will deny myself the pleasure of what I would rather do. This is so hard for me and for you 
to undergo discomfort, to undergo inconvenience, just to bless a brother or a sister. Because in the end, the issue doesn't matter. For Christ, it says, did not please himself. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Remember that? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is your in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross for our sake. That's self-denial. And verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. The Scriptures way, the Gospel way gives hope. Holding on to yourself brings quarreling and ruin. There's no way out of that. There's no way through that. There's no way of hope in that. But going the Scripture's way, the way of Christ, that gives hope. That gives endurance. It says endurance, encouragement, and hope. There's a way through the muddle then. There's a way to hold on to one another and glorify the gospel when we deny ourselves and do not seek to please ourselves. If the Prince of Glory, worthy of all worship, who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, would come down and bear our reproaches, isn't the right thing to bear one another's weaknesses or viewpoints? To bear with that? So what forbearance is. Forgiveness is letting go of somebody's sin against you. Forbearance is letting go of somebody's difference with you. Something that you consider disagreeable or annoying. Forbearance. Bear with it. The gospel is the key to all conflict. I will let go of myself to serve you. To honor Christ who let go of himself to serve me. And the fourth rule. How to handle, how to live with one another in the midst of opinions. Deeply held personal convictions of a secondary nature. Welcome one another. Verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. But notice what comes beforehand in verses 5 and 6. Why should you welcome one another? There's something far bigger at play here, which has been in the background of Romans the whole way through. May the God of endurance, verse 5, and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And together means, and that goes on in the next passage, verses 8, 9, and following, Jew and Gentile, the two groups that are at loggerheads with each other. Together, you can view it as gathering for worship. You can sit in the pew 
And you can with one voice, differing opinions, one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the mystery of Jew and Gentile through the blood of Christ being brought together in one body that the whole Bible says is God's amazing work through Jesus Christ. That we're alike in our sin. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we're alike as one body and we're one people before God. And that's the awesome Work of God, bringing together Jews and Gentiles, people from different cultures and languages and religious backgrounds, different educations, different socioeconomic status, people who naturally despise each other, hate each other, have nothing to do with each other, look down upon each other, bringing them together through the blood of Christ in one spirit, to sit together in the pew and sing with one voice. That's the work God is doing through Christ and is being met in congregations all over the world. And the best way is not to set up separate congregations according to our differing opinions. The best way is for congregations to love each other in spite of those differing opinions for the sake of Christ. And say, we're praying for that harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father for our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we will welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. This is amazing. The big picture that God has in mind here. In the midst of struggles the church has faced through all the ages. It's never been different. There's always been something. And for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the blood of Christ, the kingdom of God, the body that Jesus is building. As we said last week. I need to take, to drag to the cross any sense of demeaning or judging my brother and sister over secondary matters. I need to drag that to the cross and let it die there and go to the empty tomb, the risen Jesus Christ, and look for his power to love and serve and to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed me for the glory of God. Amen. Dear Father in heaven, we stand amazed at your great miraculous project that through the blood of Christ and by the Spirit of Christ, you are building one body of so many different peoples gathered into congregations all over the world, showing forth the glory of Christ by living in harmony in the midst of diversity, faith's diversity. 
We pray, Father, that you will help us to show forth your glory in the way we deal with one another, the way we love and serve one another, that we might be a bright light in a world that knows only how to cancel and to fight and to exclude. Lead us down a different pathway, Lord. We thank you for each other. We thank you for giving us grace to love one another in the midst of troubles. We praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen.